it is 46 degrees and cloudy. In New York City, 44 degrees and cloudy. From WPFW in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. At 89.3 FM, this is member-supported WPFW, Washington. This is a public service announcement with guitar. Welcome to Your Rights at Work. Chris Garlock here with Ed Smith. Ed Smith, happy Earth Day, brother. Happy birthday. Earth Day. Earth Day, not birthday, dude. Oh, Earth Day. <laughs> I was like, it's not my birthday, but I'll celebrate anyway. Happy Earth Day to you, my brother, on this chilly hey. day here in D.C. I know, I know. My favorite uh, my favorite headline I saw, uh, saw uh, on this was from Jacobin. It said, uh, to save the planet, expropriate the rich <laughs> <laughs> i like that yeah i thought you would that was just for you hey we got a great show lined up folks as always you can join us 202-588-0893 if you uh, got questions about your rights the ones you have the ones you don't have the ones you wish you had this is the place to let us know 202-588-0893 historic historic vote in the house we are going to have a report from the on that also there is a strike going on you wouldn't really know it a lot of attention being paid to it but we're going to report on that uh and also a little bit later constructing a new social compact there's a public forum coming up next week on empowering the post-pandemic working class say that three times fast but first the house the house just had a vote on D.C. statehood, and to tell us more about that historic step, uh, we got a D.C. resident, uh, our political director at the Metro Washington Council, my, my good friend and colleague, David Stephen. Brother, how you doing today? Doing great. What's up, Chris? What's up, Ed? Hey, David. Nice to see a fellow D.C. resident. I'm sure the yes, vote sir. was unanimous because it makes perfect sense that D.C. Oh, yeah. is the state. You would, you would, and you would you would think that all these lawmakers that probably spend more time here in D.C. than they do in their own home states would would agree with us. Uh, unfortunately, this is a, no. A, it's a it's a it's a nasty political divide as usual. Uh, so so w- welcome to modern day politics, right? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, but uh, but but great to tell us that you. Speak- I'm sorry. Well, no, you started out today. Uh, you started out today uh, over there. I think in Ward Seven, right? Uh, with, with I a little, did. Uh, there, were, there was actually uh, rallies across the city. Tell us about that before we go to the vote. Yeah. So, um, so, so the organization DC Vote, uh, which has been at the forefront of organizing in the community around uh, statehood, uh, worked on uh, putting together eight different rallies in all eight wards around DC. Uh, where basically uh, citizens or, or and residents here in D.C. got out on the street at some of our busiest intersections, uh, raising awareness. We had our, um, our our statehood signs. We're telling people to to honk for statehood. Uh, so so we're we're making a lot of noise this morning uh, at, at between uh, eight thirty and nine. It was really exciting. Uh, just you know, just to get people amped up and excited about the fact that uh, statehood is on the horizon. And I really, really believe that. Uh, And and it's it's an exciting thing. I was telling someone uh, that that today uh, was the second time that D.C. statehood uh, went in front of the the House floor uh, in the U.S. Congress because it went before the uh, the House in the last term. But this is the first time that it's gone before the House floor, and now it goes to a Democratic-led Senate. So that's a very, very big difference uh, that that we have now. And as much as I hate to say it, uh, it it, it seems that right now we live in a world and in a country where Democrats are about expanding voting rights and Republicans are about shrinking them. Uh, And that's a that's a sad reality because voting 
uh, which, which is the cornerstone of our democracy, should be a bipartisan effort that everyone can agree about. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen here. We know here in D.C. that more than 700,000 uh, uh, residents in the District of Columbia are denied representation, we're taxed, uh, we have nothing to say about how our tax dollars are, are, are spent uh, and have no representation in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, the U.S. Senate or on the floor, floor of the Congress. So today, you know, they, uh, they're, they're voting on whether to make D.C. a state, but the representatives from D.C. Ha- don't even have a say so in that. Uh, so so that, that's, that's where we are, unfortunately, Chris. Well, I know we want to bring uh, Ed, who, of course, is a fellow D.C. resident. But, but uh, you know, David, Stephen, I think you make a really good point, And I'd love to talk more about this uh, because I have been following, you know, these cases across the country with, with increasing uh, dismay. You know, I was telling somebody, I think it was yesterday, you know, a lot of us thought, you know, get rid of Donald Trump. And you know, I'm not saying everything was going to be hunky-dory, but it, it felt like we'd be able to move on in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of little Trumpistas across the country that, as you say, are just bound and determined to, to roll back, you know, basic basic voting rights across the country. And, and, and I got to tell you, it's feeling to me, I'm having, you know, flashbacks to 1960s and the civil rights movement, but, but tell me your take on it. I think that you're right. I, again, I, 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 I think that, did. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Ed. No, no, that's to you. That's, that's oh, to so me. Oh, okay, yeah. No, no. I, I, I think that I think that you're right. Uh, I, I think that we, we are standing at, at, at a point in history where we can move forward or we can move backward. Um, I, I think that for the last four years, unfortunately, we've been exposed to how, how bad uh, things could be, and, and, and the fact that a lot of the attitudes and a lot of the sentiments that we thought were remnants of the 60s really hadn't gone away. They just hadn't had an opportunity to prosper, and they did prosper under the last administration. Uh, so now we've got to fight that back. Uh, we have to fight it back in a much more blatant way. Uh, and we're seeing all these uh, voter suppression laws that are being uh, passed and, lit, uh, and, and, and legislated all over the country, and they're all based on what, what we call the big lie, right? Th- this idea that the election was somehow stolen which is nothing more than code for if if if, if minorities um, have a say so and how our government is actually run, then that means that it was stolen from us and we and and, and who is the white majority and that is the, the that represents the worst of what we are uh, and we have to make sure that we move that in a different direction. I, I I refuse to believe that the vast majority of Americans want to see this country move backward want to see rights uh, rolled back for anyone. Um, but, but we've just got to keep up the fight because we have a vocal minority that does want to see that happen. And they're not giving up, and neither should we. Uh, and that, and that, so bringing that back to D.C. statehood, that's why D.C. statehood is so important. It, it, it's an issue of voting rights, Chris. Uh, you've got 700,000 people in a, in, in a, a majority uh, African-American city don't have any say so in how our federal government is run uh, by by our federally elected officials. We can change that. You know, you have a hundred you have a hundred U.S. senators. Three of them, three of them are African American. African Americans make up at least eleven percent of the population. So, in all likelihood, by 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 making D.C. a state, we can change in a literal sense. We can change the complexion of the U.S. Senate so that it'll look a little bit more like America. And that's what's important. That's that's what they want to run away from. And, you know, it's funny. I didn't even know this. Uh, Steny Hoyer, uh, on, on his speech on the floor this morning, he made the point. He said, do you guys even know why there are two Dakotas? You've got a South Dakota, you've got a North Dakota. Both of them have a little bit north of uh, of a million people, right? When North, when, when north and South Dakota were admitted to the union, they made them into two states because Republicans thought it better to have four senators than two. And that's the only reason that there are two Dakotas. So, you know, th- th- this, this idea that, that, that D.C. shouldn't be uh, admitted as a state because in all likelihood there'll be um, two more dem- Democratic senators just doesn't make sense. And th- this is what bothers me so much about, about Republicans. Republicans are willing to do anything to win but make the argument. Like, you know, the, as if the people in D.C. aren't smart enough to discern who has their best interest. Win the argument and we would vote for you. 
but that 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 doesn't seem to be uh, the the, the I, way to go. I, I I don't know if this is coming up at DC vote, but I got a I got a strategy suggestion here. I mean, a whole a whole bunch of the DC folks just ought to move to the Dakotas. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they, they might give you your they might give you your vote real quick at that point. At the end. <laughs> You, yeah. you know what, what? What's funny is that because uh, because uh, and here with, with the uh, the DC Labor Council, we have partnered with, uh, with with our state feds and the states of Maine, West Virginia, and Arizona, where we've got some Democratic senators who haven't signed on uh, to be co-sponsors of of, of um, DC statehood just yet. And as I was talking to our colleagues up in Maine, uh, I was telling them that you know we're we're predicted to hit a million. Uh, in in the next ten years, and they were saying, "Well, the funny thing is that Maine is predicted to fall under a million in the next ten years." Exactly. So you know, so there's exactly. really, so there really is no real argument for you know, especially if you want to make it about population or whatever. But you know, what did I hear this morning? They said because DC doesn't have a landfill uh, or an airport, that that disqualifies us from statehood. <laughs> I um, yeah. I mean, and you're a lawyer, so um, which which um, clause in the Constitution talks about landfills? And um... I I haven't found it yet. Um, okay, okay, I, I just very want... carefully. You but you know, Dave, you stopped Dave, him. You stopped him. <laughs> Dave, Dave, you make so many very good points. Um, and uh, I noticed in today's Washington Post, there was an editorial by a guy that was our friend for a couple of years under Donald Trump, uh, George Will. I like okay. reading about his baseball stuff, but once again, he he back, went back to his true colors and said, you know, made the argument that D.C. should not be a state. Um, and uh, there you go. I love the point you made about the Dakotas. Um, I did not know that, and that's very interesting. Um, you know, we've been self-home rule for almost 50 years now. Mm-hmm. We get to vote for our D.C. council members. We get to vote for a mayor. We get to vote for Eleanor Holmes Norton. We get to vote for shadow senators. But what a lot of people in this country don't understand is that when we vote for the mayor and the D.C. council and they pass legislation, could be involving gun rights, could be involving legal legalization of marijuana, could be involving uh, and, and always is involving some serious um, appropriations. Every single one of those laws that is passed by the council and the mayor um, are subject to review by a senator from North Dakota. Uh, yeah, and yeah, city, yeah, yeah, good, those name. good old Dakotas, right? right? <laughs> yeah, so one point I wanted to make is I remember when I was younger, I really liked looking at demographics in terms of presidential elections and how they changed over the course of time. And really, the Republicans have have no choice. Their playbook has to be voter suppression because the demographics of this country are changing and they're changing pretty quickly and radically. And 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 the voters that are becoming of age now uh, across the racial spectrum, the younger voters are skewing more and more left, more and more Democratic, and the Republicans don't have a choice. Yeah. So they know what they're doing. They know it's not right. But it's the only way to stay in power. And uh, it's it's a horrible argument. But and they don't want to just say that, that, hey, because we're going to continue to lose because we're not providing the platforms uh, for, for change and what people want on climate control, workers rights, you name it. Uh, and we don't have the votes when you really count all the votes. Well, this is the only way we stay in power. And, and that's what it really comes down to. And it is a it is a direct hit on democracy um whether we've had that uh over the course of the united mm-hmm. states history is another another larger question of course but um so were there any surprises among democrats uh today uh in the vote or, or was it full democratic support on party hey, well, you know you, you know, you know- I'll, I'll be honest. I know it was two sixteen. I don't know if there were any uh, Democrats that did not vote in favor. I remember Steny Hoyer saying that he thought that the Democrats would hold strong. Um, so I don't remember, but don't quote me on that because they're they're they're. I mean, you know, it's always possible. But uh, yeah, but we definitely made it out uh, 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 on on the House floor, uh, which is very exciting. But now the real work comes into place because. Um, 
first we got to get to 50, right? Uh, and and we're not quite at 50 as far as Democratic senators are concerned. You've got Kristen Sinema and Mark Kelly out of Arizona. You've got Angus King, who's an independent out of the state of Maine. And you've got our, 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 our best friend, Joe Manchin, out of uh, West Virginia. Uh, and so those are the, the four uh, left-leaning senators who have not signed on uh, as supporters of D.C. statehood just yet. We've got to get those on board. The D.C. Labor Council uh, has formed a coalition with those uh, those three respective states. Uh, we're working with our state federations uh, to lobby them to get on board and to support D.C. statehood. And we're looking forward to moving the needle on that. It's great that we have our union brothers and sisters in those states that are working along with us because it's one thing to take a call from a guy out of D.C. to, to West Virginia. It's another thing when a, when a guy from West Virginia is calling yeah. about their brothers and sisters in Washington, D.C. Uh, so we're, we're, we're looking forward to being able to move the needle on that. So for your listening audience, if you know anybody that lives in any of those states, have them call their senators. Tell them that, that you expect them to get on board. This is a matter of fairness. It's a matter of justice. Uh, it is it is who we are as Americans. We uh, with this nation was founded on the pres- on the principle of no taxation without representation. Um, and and there are seven hundred thousand people in the in, in the District of Columbia who pay federal income taxes, which is not true of other places like Guam or Puerto Rico uh, and and uh, you know and, and other U.S. territories. We pay into the federal system. We just don't have any say so on where our federal dollars go. And, and and I know we're pressed for time, but I'll just say this. You guys remember with the CARES Act, remember all the states were given uh, a floor, and I forget what the number was, but it was somewhere in the upwards of two hundred million for um for for um for, for, for COVID testing and all, all those things that go along with it. DC was denied that funding because they titled us as a territory. Right. In no way does D.C. operate as a territory. We're nothing like Puerto Rico or Guam or these or um, the, the Samoa or, or any of these other places. Yet they put us in that category simply because they did not want to give us the money that we deserve, even though we pay into the system. As a matter of fact, we pay more than 22 other states in the union. So, uh, you know, th- th- this 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 has got to change. Uh, and we are at a point in history where it's more likely to change than ever before. I'm really excited, guys. Uh, I, I believe we're going to move forward. We're going to be fighting for it. Uh, and 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 you can you can just fill in the air. Today, as cold as it was, uh, was was a great day for the people in D.C. Hey, where were you in Ward Seven? Uh, we were at the intersection of Minnesota Avenue and Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. A lot, lot of convergence of traffic and everything. So, yeah. So we got uh, raised a lot of visibility. Everybody in all the wards were like in some of the busiest intersections. Uh, just, you know, just get people to honk and get excited about uh, D.C. statehood. Yeah. Hey, listen, um, I don't know if you know this, but our offices relocated over to uh, Ward 7. We're on 12th and uh, M in southeast okay. right off the 11th Street Bridge. So once the. Okay. Once uh, we're all vaccinated, we got to get you over there to say hi, and maybe we'll do a rally from there. So, sounds like a winner. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with it. All right, we're talking with David Stephen, the political director for the Metro Council in Washington D.C. David, if you can hang on, I actually, uh, you know, I know you've been real involved with the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and, and working with that within the labor movement, and I want to get some response to you on the uh, guilty verdict for Derek Chauvin earlier this week. Uh, so if you can hold on for just a second, I do want to go to Jenny Diamond uh, out of Virginia. She heads up the uh, Labor Council, Nova Labor, uh, just across the river. And Jenny, thank you for joining us. And I really wanted to hear about this uh, strike that's going on in uh, Dublin, uh, Virginia, uh, that y'all are going to get involved with tomorrow. And Jenny, let's get you uh, unmuted there. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. And first of all, uh, solidarity with uh, all my uh, brothers and sisters in Washington, D.C. for the fight for democracy. And certainly that's uh, that's that's what it's all about right now is uh, the fight for democracy in our country. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Yes, there's a a big strike going on now in Dublin, Virginia, which is uh, Pulaski County. Um, And uh, we uh, this is the uh, United Auto Workers. the, the uh, local down there is on strike. We have a member of our executive 
board at Nova Labor, uh, Melvin Carter, who's with the UAW. And so uh, we wanted to show our solidarity. Um, this is a this is the largest uh, tractor trailer uh, manufacturing plant for Volvo in the uh, United in the world in the world. So there's uh, about three thousand people down there, um, and uh, they haven't had a strike since uh, 2008. Uh, but they did uh, walk out uh, last Saturday uh, following the expiration of a 30-day extension uh, of their five-year collective bargaining agreement. Uh, so what happened was that, um, you know, the, the uh, union members there were disappointed that the uh, that management did not present a uh, substantial offer um, by the contract deadline. Uh, and they, uh, they have a goal of uh, achieving a fair agreement for their members and, uh, you know, they want to have uh, uh, job security, adequate wages and benefits, and uh, they want protection for their safety and health. And so they're, they've gone out and they are standing in solidarity, standing strong. And so uh, Nova Labor is going to send a delegation down there tomorrow. Um, we're going to uh, bring a check uh, in support of their strike fund and for those workers. And uh, we're looking forward to it. And anyone that wants to join us, we will be... Uh, at noon, uh, we will be down there um, at, uh, at, at, at with uh, UAW Local 2069 in Dublin, Virginia at 5110 Cougar Trail Road. And we've got that on our website, as always, dclabor.org. Click on calendar, all the details on that. Uh, Jenny understands about a four, four and a half hour drive, but uh, let me just back up a sec. Uh, I'll be honest, I did not know that we had 3,000 auto workers down there in uh, Dublin, Virginia, uh, uh, building uh, these tractor trailers. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, it, the, these basic issues are just over trying to get a contract. I mean, has this been brewing for a while? Well, they've been negotiating for, for quite a while and uh, not able to uh, get to a fair agreement. Um, and this is, um, it's a big plant and it's growing. Uh, they um, have added 1,100 jobs recently and they're going to add another 600 uh, this year. So it's a, a very important uh, facility. Um, all of the every all of the trucks that Bavo makes, the tractor trailers that are made for US, uh, the US market are made made in the United States. Uh, so um, okay, I think it. Yeah. No, I think yeah, I've got uh, a quick question for you. Well, Virginia, thanks for joining us. And um, a great, great um, decision on the Northern Virginia that helped support that strike. I was just looking on the web. So Dublin, has only 2,500, uh, that's their population is 2,500. So there are more auto workers working in Dublin than the population. And it's right outside of Roanoke from what I understand. My question is, um, do you know whether the local uh, has engaged the community and what the community uh, is, what kind of support they're getting from the community or the press down there? Uh, yes, they're getting uh, great support down there from the community. There have been uh, local elected officials who have gone to visit uh, and so um, I think everybody uh, uh, has a great deal of uh, respect for the workers. They work hard. They produce great products. They're very dedicated to their work, uh, but they're strong union members, and uh, they, wanna, they want what's fair for their families. So, yes, they have uh, great support, and uh, we're looking forward to going down tomorrow and uh, seeing some of that ourselves. And uh, it's a beautiful yeah. ride, and it's a beautiful country. So I encourage people to come on down and, and uh, see, us down, see us in uh, Pulaski County. Well, I hope that support uh, puts some additional pressure on the uh, on the company to to resolve this without further ado. So, Jenny, uh, definitely get us some photos. Jenny's always great about sending me photos, and then you can uh, keep track of those at DC Labor. Uh, Jenny, uh, hang on for just a sec because I want to get some response. I know that Noble Labor has done an awful lot of work uh, around the racial justice issue as well, and I'm sure that you have a reaction to uh, the Derek Chauvin conviction. But uh, we've got a caller on the line. Uh, Mike tells me, so let's go to the phones. You're on your rights at work. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? And what's your comment or question? I'm Joseph. I'm not calling about the rights to work. I'm calling about the statehood. I have a question. Okay. Sure. D.C. is the capital of the U.S. of A. So if they grant statehood, where is the capital going to be? <laughs> may, may I answer? Yes, please. I I, I, uh, I had something smart I was going to say. I'm going to leave that to the side and make, let you. No, 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 answer. no. That, that, and you know what? And that, that's a fair question. I'm I'm glad he asked that because you know those of us that have been in this fight sometimes we assume 
that people understand this. Uh, the, the short answer to your question is uh, right here. Uh, the, the, the capital is not going anywhere. Uh, the, the Constitution uh, requires that there be a capital. It does not require what the size of that capital is. And so inside of the legislation, it, it defines where uh, the, the intersections start and stop for this new capital. Uh, well, not for the new capital, but for the state uh, of, of, of D.C. And essentially what it does is that it, it carves out the residential areas in the district. But those areas that we know where the National Mall is, where the U.S. Capitol is, where, where the White House is, those areas will continue to be designated as the capital of the United States. But what will be Washington, Douglas Commonwealth, uh, will be carved out of that to be to be its own state. So uh, the, 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 the capital is not going anywhere. Uh, but, but what will happen is that we will expand the rights of those who reside inside of the, of, of the area that has already been designated as the you know, I might note also that Philadelphia, Excellent. I might note that Philadelphia and New York City were one time yep. the capitals of the United States. So good question, caller. Uh, but hey, I think hey, hopefully right, David's right. answer, hopefully David's answer uh, yeah. uh, got got us together on this. Hey, hey, you know, what, what's, and what's funny, what it, nine, three. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, what, what's funny is that this morning, one of the... Um, one of the arguments that the Republicans were saying was, well, let D.C. go back to Maryland. Uh, and, and there are two problems with that. Number, number one, Maryland doesn't want us. That's number one. And number two, the, the, yeah, but, but number two, the other problem with that is that, the, you know, when they're saying that, you know, the, the founders wanted uh, to have a capital city uh, that, that, that wasn't surrounded by state government. So why do you want to give us back to Maryland then? Because then you're going to have that same issue of us being surrounded by a state government. So that argument just falls apart. Uh, so you, get, you got all the answers. Plus, plus you don't want to open up that can of, of, of worms because then we're going to have to, and, and, and Jenny, you're not hearing this, but we'd have to take back that part of Virginia that we, you know, that, that we had to give back. So I'm just saying, <laughs> we're, we just, let, let's not go there. But back to, yeah, I, mean, uh, I, I, want, I, want to, I do want to get a response from you and then, and then back to David. Uh, you know, Tuesday, a very big day. I think everybody can agree for, 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 you know, in a long time coming, way, way overdue uh, for racial justice. And I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I, I was very prepared for that to go the wrong way. We've seen it so many times before. Uh, but to, if I can just get a reaction from you and then I'll come back to David. Uh, sure. Thanks, Chris. I mean, that was a very emotional uh, moment um, to see that finally there's some accountability uh, for that uh, horrific uh, murder. Um, but, uh, you know, the the labor movement and Nova Labor uh, specifically, you know, is absolutely our mission is both economic and racial justice. There can't be one without the other. And so uh, the systemic racism is something that, you know, we have to fight on so many different fronts. And right now, of course, we're uh, we're trying to fight for the repeal of the right to work law, which has its roots in white supremacy and is uh, basically a Jim Crow relic. And so that and, and the PRO Act that we're trying to get our senator to sign on to, there's so many uh, areas where uh, systemic racism uh, is, is a central feature. So um, certainly that was, that was a, a, a very, very important uh, victory. And I'm, we're, we're, we're really um, relieved to see just a, a bit of accountability there. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I think that, yeah, I, I yeah, and I, I think that accountability is the um, the most appropriate word here. Uh, it, it's unfortunate that the, that this nation has a long history of a lack of accountability when it comes from police officers. And yes, we we we, we you know we we hail police officers as as uh, fixtures in our community that serve and protect us and and, and enforce the law. However, uh, these are not perfect people. And one does not uh, necessarily, is not necessarily a reflection on who they all are. However, police have to be held accountable for their actions. There's no question that for nine minutes and 29 seconds, we all saw the video that, that, that uh, Derek Chauvin made, made a decision, made multiple decisions time and time again, minute after minute, uh, to continue to, to leave his knee on the neck of George Floyd. Uh, and and twelve jurors decided that that was murder, uh, and that that is accountability in, in in a very real sense. So it was um, it was a positive day for our our legal system and for our our, our justice system. 
uh, I was in no need, no mood rather to celebrate uh, because that's the way that the system is supposed to work. Uh, and, you know, so it, it's like with anything, you, you don't applaud people for doing what they're supposed to be doing um, in, in the first place. We've got a long, long way to go. Uh, there are some, uh, some much needed reforms that need to happen across the country. Uh, we can start with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act uh, that is in front of the U.S. Congress. Uh, but we, we've got a lot of work to do. And so, yeah, this, that, that, was, that was a good day. Um, you know, uh, April 20th will, will be a good day uh, for, for us to remember that the legal system worked uh, for, for, for a man and for, uh, you know, for, for a race of people that, that, would not, that have not historically seen it work in their favor. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this is over. This is just, just the beginning. And imagine this, it took a whole year and the, literally the entire world to protest for us to get this single victory. Uh, so that, that, that tells us we've got a lot, a lot of work to do um, in order for us to get to where we are, where we don't have to have breaking coverage on CNN uh, for something like that, like this, that should have been an open and closed case in the first place. You know, um, to buttress that point, uh, NPR did an investigation that between <clears throat> 2015 uh, to now, uh, there have been uh, fatal sh uh, shootings by police officers of 135 black men and women across the country with 75% of the officers identifying as white. And also uh, a study done by uh, uh, the Henry Wallace Police Crime Database in Bowling Green State University uh, had found that between 2005 and um, Floyd's murder last year, um, only five police officers were convicted of murder in an on-duty shooting and did not have the convictions overturned. So you have five people that in a 15-year period being convicted, and you have at least 135 people being shot just in the last five years. So it really buttresses your point. This is a beginning, mm -hmm. but, you know, I agree, Dave. I, I kind of was... I was happy and, and feeling good, but I wasn't like jumping up and down with joy. Like, okay, this is, this is the world has changed because it, it ain't changed. It's, it's, it was a sense of relief uh, because right. we, 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 we did, we didn't want to live in a world where this decision did not happen. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but the fact that we were even nervous, even after seeing what I think they called up 28 witnesses in the prosecution you know the, the 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 evidence was overwhelming. The, the 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 information was irrefutable. Yet, when they made the announcement that the jury was coming back in an hour, people were going crazy. Like, well, what are they going to do? We should not live in a country in a society where we have to question that. It should be like, well, what took them so long, right? You know, they deliberated for eight hours. Relatively not a long time for you know for for a mur murder case like that. On pins and needles, like man, I hope they do the right thing. And then everybody's like, "Wow, I can't believe they found him guilty on all three. Wow, you know, uh, it, it just it, it it shouldn't have been that hard. And uh, you know, and dare I say, and you 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 know this, uh, getting in the weeds, Ed, is the reason that they added the murder three charge was because they were afraid that they weren't going to be be able to get the murder two charge in the first place. So you know, hats off to the jury uh, because they they did they they believed what was in front of them. Uh, but too often we've seen that not happen. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the sentence is going to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, murder two carries a penalty of up to forty years. Murder three, yeah, twenty five. So we'll see what happens in eight weeks on the sentencing. Yeah, my my wife, David. To your point, my wife was like, she didn't understand why the jury didn't. You know, she said, "I was on that jury, you know, five minutes. Like, let's go. We're good. <laughs> guilty, guilty, no, guilty. You know, you know, uh, you're listening. no. Well, yeah, I mean, but in, yeah, in the jury delivery pro deliberation process, I think that they just went back there and made sure that they checked all the boxes and did their job. I don't think right, that they went right. back there. I don't think they went back there to convince each other. Uh, but I mean, what we, I mean, we may know. They may tell us. Or we may never know, but it just sounds like to me they 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 did their um they, they went through 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 the process uh, to make sure that they were thorough enough. You're listening to your rights at work, Chris and Ned. Our guests we're talking to David Stevens, political director for the Metro Washington Council. We've also got on the line uh, Jenny Diamond. She's president of the Northern Virginia Labor Council, Nova Labor. Uh, just before we let you guys go, you know. It, 
part of, I think, the tempering of the verdict on Tuesday was the fact that, you know, business as usual. I mean, how many shootings had we had? I mean, that day, the day before, I mean, you know, sort of to your point, David, I mean, you know, it's like applauding every time the plane, you know, takes off or lands without crashing, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> right? I mean, the fact that we had, you know, a bunch of shootings right around this, I mean, if, if we don't have somebody there on hand to videotape this stuff, I mean, because so often the cops come out, you know, uh, immediately with it, well, it was justified. And if you don't have somebody there, you know, with irrefutable evidence, uh, you know, that was part of my problem with this whole case was that, as you're saying, I mean, you, you have the entire thing there, you know, literally on tape with witnesses. If you can't get a conviction in this case, you're never going to get a conviction, right? Mm -hmm. That and that, that, yeah, that that's what we were afraid of. But I, I, I can't help but to say that the reason that these are not um, uh, um, irregular occurrences or are regular occurrences, I should say, is because it's a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. You know, right. it com it comes down to training. It comes down to policy, and, and in a lot of ways, it comes down to politics. Those are the things that need to be addressed, and you know, and how far we go, uh, that that's that's going to be a question for us to continue to answer. Uh, I think that, like like I said earlier, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that that's uh, in front of the U.S. Congress right now is a great place for us to start. Uh, but there are bigger conversations that that we have. We know that that there are some people uh, that have um, that, that have articulated the idea about defunding the police and what that even means. Uh, but but you know we we can't be so afraid of semantics that we can't have a conversation. I you know I really hate it when people have these these um, these intellectually dishonest conversations because they want to score political points about how we address uh, issues. But there has there has to be um, a systemic um, uh, review and maybe a systemic overhaul on what policing is in this nation uh, and, and why we continue to have these problems. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I hope that we can continue to, uh, to, to, to push this conversation so that we can just have a more just nation. And that, that's all it's about. Uh, we, 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 we all wanna live in a nation uh, where we are safe, uh, where, where police uh, enforce uh, good and just laws and uh, that where we can all be our, be our best selves. I think at the end of the day, that's all it comes down to. And we, don't, we just don't want to be killed because of the skin that we're in. David and Jenny, thank you so much uh, for your updates, your reports. Uh, I know you're going to keep us posted moving forward. Really appreciate it. Uh, hang in there. David Stephen, political director at the Metro Council, and Jenny Diamond, the president of Nova Labor. Thank you both very much for being on your right to work. Thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right. Take care. All right. Uh, I think Michael's got uh, a little uh, DC vote uh, bumper music queued up. Let's have a little uh, chop teeth here. Roll it. Want to hit me to a travesty? Because there's a blot on our democracy when the good people of DC keep paying for a house where they can't get a seat. It's a real time tragedy. A hard knock on our democracy when the good people of DC keep sending money to a Senate where they can't buy a seat. Taxation without representation. News 250 years old is still breaking. Because DC has no congressman. To represent the people. DC has no senator. To represent the people. When all they really want is to represent the people. So enough shame for politics. Represent the people. And what's it going to take for DC to represent? People making noise. And politicians making sense. Shouldn't matter which side you're on. No, you just got to know right from wrong. No more lip service to democracy. You give DC the vote immediately. It shouldn't matter which side you're on. No, you just got to know right from wrong. No more lip service to democracy. You give DC the vote immediately. Yeah. Chop Teeth, Afropunk, big band of just beautiful music. Uh, that's their tune, DC Vote. Got a lot of good information in there, too. All right, next up, there's a, there's a big shindig coming up uh, next week. It's going to be running April 28th to May 1st. It's called Constructing a New Social Compact, a public forum on empowering the post-pandemic working class. To tell us about it, 
Lane Windham. She's associate director at the Kalmanovitz Institute over there at Georgetown University. Lane, thanks for being with us. Hi, Chris. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. I can hear you. And it's so good to hear your voice. Uh, how, how are you surviving the panic yourself, your pandemic uh, yourself, first of all? I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. I know. Well, you know, just like everybody else, uh, spending a lot of time uh, at home and ready to uh, be fully inoculated and to begin to be back together with everybody. I miss you all. <laughs> The feeling is mutual. So tell us about this constructing a new social compact. Sounds pretty cool. Yes, we are inviting everybody to a virtual public forum, constructing a new social compact, a public forum on empowering a post-pandemic working class. It's happening April 28th to May 1st. It's a four-day virtual convening featuring more than 150 presenters, uh, five continents, over 25 sessions. And uh, Chris, you're going to love the lineup. We've got topics on the future of workers and democracy, the infrastructure of care, climate, immigration, safe and healthy workplaces, technology rights as workers' rights. Um, our speakers include Mary Kay Henry, Sharon Burrow, who's the General Secretary of the ITUC, Randy Weingarten, Erica Smiley of Jobs with Justice, Sarita Gupta of the Ford Foundation, Aijin Pu of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. Uh, we invite everybody, come join. It's a public forum. You can register and find the full schedule on our website, which is lwp.georgetown.edu, LWP like um, labor in the working poor, lwp.georgetown.edu. And uh, for those of you that are used to following uh, DC Labor, it's just uh, dclabor.org. Click on calendar. We also have a link there uh, to you can go and you can register, and it's free, right? Yes, yes, free. You just have to to sign up, and then you can come to all of the various twenty five sessions. <laughs> Wow, it's what an all-star lineup. You you have been busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a bunch of uh, of questions, but I got to get my my co-host uh, Ed Smith in here. Is champing at the bit. Uh, also hasn't seen or talked to you. So go ahead, Ed. Hi, Lane. Welcome back to our Hi. show. We've, we've missed uh, having you on here. And boy, what an undertaking. Um, you know, in these difficult times, putting this stuff together. Uh, in a in a large conference area is difficult enough doing it on zoom uh or whatever platform you're doing it god bless you um i one of the things that i heard uh i think you had talked about care are you talking about health care as you know um i work for the dc nurses association and health care is near and dear to our hearts and i think probably the biggest issue is equity in health care as has been um pretty much the belly's been exposed uh, during this pandemic about equity in healthcare. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Equity in healthcare and also the extent to which, you know, we, so much of our healthcare is based through our jobs, through employment in this right. country. It doesn't work that way in other countries, right? Well, of course, during the pandemic, every, not everybody, but millions of people lost their jobs. Well, that meant they lost their health care. And, you know, one of, I think that uh, people have seen during this pandemic, the structural inequities of our current system, uh, because so much of it is employment-based, but frankly, they've also seen the racial and gender and class inequities, right? We have all watched those frontline workers, uh, many of whom are people of color, many of whom are women, and they have taken a huge amount of the risk. You're obviously with the nurses. I mean, case in point. And, uh, you know, um, I think that there, we are at a moment when people are ready to have a new conversation about what, how should we structure our social compact? What should the rules be? Um, and it's, it's time, the t moment is right to revisit that and to have a new conversation. And this time we can build one that centers working people, that centers working families and their communities. 
uh, and that addresses some of the structural racism, structural sexism that we've had in our current system. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I might note that the week following uh, your great event, uh, our national union is having a lobby day. And one of the big issues that were, or lobby days, I should say, one of the big issues is uh, trying to get more support for the Medicare for All Act. Um, so tell me about some of the other exciting um, uh, events that uh, you, you're particularly uh, interested in, in uh, participating in over the course of the four days. Well, let's see. Um, uh, on... <laughs> Uh, on, on let's just start with with Wednesday, April 28th, which, as you know, is Workers Memorial Day. Joe McCartan uh, is moderating a session on the future of workers and democracy on Wednesday at one o'clock. There's been a lot of talk about the future of work. But what about the future of workers and what does the erosion of workers organizations mean for democracy? Well, he's going to be having that conversation with Sharon Burrow, uh, who's the general secretary of the. Uh, the International Trade Union Confederation, as well as Sarita Gupta of Ford and Chris Liu, who is the Deputy Labor Secretary under Obama. Uh, so that's that's our, our first session. That evening, I'm going to be um, moderating a session uh, that's called Getting It Right This Time, a roundtable discussion on the new social compact. Um, and that is going to talk about how did our system get to be so unequal and uh, what's the history of that and how can we envision a, a different system going forward and that is going to have a Will Jones who's a historian at the University of Minnesota, uh, Erica Smiley who is with Jobs with Justice and Reina Lopez who is the executive director of PACUN which is the Oregon Farm Worker Association because as you know farm workers were really left out and still are left out of our social compact. And then that evening, and I was told, uh, Chris, that I need to, to plug this with you uh, because it's a film. We're going to have arts night. We're going to have first a, a spoken word artist, um, Chris Sims, and then we're going to ha have a, a screening of Union Time, which is about the Smith the uh, Smithfield workers uh -huh. uh, organizing effort. So that's just Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, I'm tired already. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Thursday we're gonna um be having a, a session called, for instance, the plenary is called um an an economy for people and planet. What would it take? And that's gonna have Sarah Nelson with the flight attendants, Catherine Coleman Flowers, uh, who runs the Center for Racial. Uh, and environmental justice in Alabama. It's going to be moderated by Lauren Burke with the Labor Network for Sustainability. And it has Samir Santi, who's a historian on there. So that's at one o'clock on Thursday. Uh, and that's just a sampling. Uh, we've, we've got four days of terrific programming. And so we welcome everybody to join the discussion. That's what we're hoping to do here is to spark discussion to envision a new way of doing things and to begin building uh, going forward. Well, Lane, I want you to sort of put on your labor historian's hat for, for a second, because one of the things that, that struck me, you know, over the last year is that, you know, so often, right, over the course of not only our lifetimes, obviously, but, you know, the last few generations, I mean, anytime you wanted to do something for working folks, we don't have enough money, you know, that's not the way we, you know, there was always, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't, right? And just to cite a couple of examples, you know, all of a sudden they're cutting, you know, checks. I mean, a thousand dollar checks, wait for it, you know, they're cutting these large checks to like everybody, right? right. Which, which if, if, you know, for those people who suggested that, you know, I don't know, two, three years, five years, 20 years ago, you're a communist, you're a socialist, whatever, whatever, you know, that, that just was not happening. So, um, and we're all getting, we're all getting, I just got my, my second shot yesterday. I drove yep. up, they stuck a needle, they, they, I drove off. I didn't pay nothing. I mean, you know, I, I got free healthcare. You right? got free healthcare through the go. government, Chris? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm just saying, right? I mean, <laughs> so, so I want you to put on your historian's hat for a second, because I think that's what's going on with this conference, right? Is that all of a sudden things that were, they weren't unthinkable. We thought about them. You know, you thought about them. Lots of people thought about them, but they were politically impossible. Or, or is, is the idea here that we have, 
you know, dare I say it, a moment where maybe other things are possible? I, I think you're right. Uh, history absolutely reveals that major crises upend the status quo, whether that's economic depressions or wars and, yes, pandemics, right? They create windows when major changes that once seemed unthinkable suddenly become possible. And the cor coronavirus pandemic has done uh, exactly that. And as we discussed before, it's also made crystal clear a lot of the inequities that were embedded in the, in the old social compact. Um, and so you're right. We, we have already started to see that the government is doing things uh, that they, that we've long lived in a period of austerity when they said, oh, we can't do that. And you know, Chris, it was the first time that people in this country got a kind of, um, Paid family, paid paid family leave, right? Was during the coronavirus, and it was actually under Trump, right? The Families First Coronavirus <laughs> Relief Act, and it was very limited. It was like you had, it was like three people got it, right? I mean, it was like so limited for the size of the employers, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, but but that was it. That was the first paid family leave was actually then. And so I do think we're at a moment when we are rethinking the things that we thought were impossible. And, uh, and, but here's the thing is that history shows it can go either way. And it, right. history also reveals that there's always a backlash. There's a, especially from corporations. And so uh, I think that um, there's a moment when we have to, we have to think big and even when that backlash comes, we still have to continue to think about new ways of doing things for working people and continue to push because there is no, there is just no substitute for that kind of uh, broad organ organizing and building for working people. There's no, no shortcuts so in that. Right. And we just got about a, a minute left, but I want, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to really load up on my, on my Lane Wyndham questions, but I, I really <laughs> want to get your reaction. Well, I want to get your reaction to the vote at Amazon, uh, but also as, as we reported earlier, you know, there's a strike by 3000 auto workers, you know, just down the road from us uh, in Dublin, Virginia. Um, my guess is that you probably have an interesting take on, on both of those. Right. So, um, in terms of the Amazon workers, uh, you know, I, Chris, I was an organizer in the South for many years. Mm -hmm. I think you know mm -hmm. that, but maybe other people yep. might not. And so I organized in clothing and textiles all over the South. And, you know, what I found in doing that is Southern workers, many Southern workers are very pro-union. Um, and so it's not a matter of th that people don't want unions. Um uh, but we have a system where the employers have so uh, rigged the system. It is so it's a system that uh, in which they can break and then labor law and the government does very little to stop them. Um, and so it is such a difficult process for workers to actually win a union election. And so my experience of organizing in the South is that I worked on big campaigns like at Fieldcrest Cannon, at Toltecs in Martinsville, Virginia. Um, and in all of those cases, it took the union three or four times before the workers were able to actually right. win. And so my thought at Bessemer is, okay, so that's what happened this time. But, right. but the history in the South shows that it'll, it'll, it'll take more than one try, right? At least through that current system. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my point. hope. Well, my, my yeah. real quick reaction to that is-, is 20 um, seconds, Ed. <laughs> yeah, my quick reaction to that is uh, when I talk to people about organizing, it's the long haul. You can't just expect change like that. Um, and you've got to continue to press and show people that you're not going away. All right, Lane, it's going to take us more than one time having you on. Can't wait for this conference next week. WDCLabor.org, uh, click on calendar, sign up, be there, four days of great content. Lane, thank you so much 
uh, for putting this together and for being on the show today. Ed Smith, thank you. Thanks to, of course, our engineers, uh, both uh, Kalia and Mike Nacella. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and so stay tuned. We will see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. A public service announcement with guitar. WPFW Washington and WBAI New York. I'm Askia Muhammad. Here are some headlines. President Biden called combating climate change a moral imperative today as he convened a two-day summit of dozens of world leaders with the aim of putting the United States back at the forefront of the global issue after retrenchment under Donald Trump. Participants include Chinese President Xi Jinping, Russian President Vladimir Putin, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and German Chancellor Angela Merkel, among many others. Biden announced that the United States will aim to cut its greenhouse gas emissions in half based on 2005 levels by the end of this decade. The House of Representatives voted 216 to 208 today to pass a bill that would grant statehood to Washington, D.C., the vote comes just days after the White House put out a statement in support of the bill, but the legislation faces an uphill fight in the Senate, where it is unlikely to get enough Republican support to clear a 60-vote threshold for passage. The House passed the statehood bill for the first time last year, also without any Republican votes. Hundreds of Ohio State students staged a sit-in at the Union Building and called on the university to cut ties with the Columbus Police Department on Wednesday in the wake of the police shooting of 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant. More than 100 protesters took to the streets of Columbus last night to demonstrate against the shooting. Nicholas Reardon was identified as the officer who shot Micaiah Bryant after responding to a call about a fight. Body camera footage showed Reardon shooting at Bryant four times as she lunged toward another girl while holding what appeared to be a knife. Dante Wright, the 20-year-old black man fatally shot by a white police officer during a traffic stop earlier this month, is being laid to rest today after a funeral service at the Shiloh Temple in North Minneapolis. Kim Potter, the officer who shot and killed Dante Wright, has been charged with manslaughter. Police said she mistook her gun for her taser. Republican lawmakers around the country continue to push bills, cracking down on protests. Legislators in Oklahoma and Iowa passed bills giving immunity to drivers who hit demonstrators with their cars. Meanwhile, a Florida nonprofit sued Governor Ron DeSantis after he signed sweeping so-called anti-riot legislation. Among other things, it bars local governments from cutting police budgets without state approval and raises penalties on demonstrators accused of a crime. More than 80 anti-protest bills in at least 34 states have been introduced this legislative year twice as many as in any other year. An internal investigation by the U.S. Capitol Police into the deadly January 6th insurrection has found that just ahead of the riot, an officer directed all units to be on the lookout for anti-Trump protesters, not the pro-Trump insurrectionists who went on to attack Congress. 
The revelation came in a congressional hearing as California Congressmember Zoe Lofgren quoted a transcript of Capitol Police radio transmissions. A radio broadcast was sent to all outside units' attention. All units on the field were not looking for any pro-Trump in the crowd. We're only looking for any anti-pro-Trump who wants to start a fight. Six Capitol Police officers have been suspended over their roles in the January 6th uprising, including an officer who posed for selfies with insurrectionists. Currently in Washington, it's cloudy and 48 degrees. In New York, it's cloudy and 46. I'm Askia.